Well, good morning. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. What a joy it is to gather with you this morning. A privilege to, to be able to come to the portion of our service where we will hear from God who has delivered us through his beloved son. Well, over this past Christmas, I set a goal to redo my office. It was in desperate need, as some of you can testify, to a, a, a pretty big facelift. That office had not been touched, other than me working in it or others working in it, since it had been painted back in the early 2000s, and it looked like it. And so that first day, when I, when I set out onto that project, that, that first day was thrilling. Oh man, the, the chair railing coming down, everything taken out. I got to, to, to have a blank space for me to make it Paul's office. Well, I quickly filled in some of the small holes with plaster and, and sanded and, and started painting the, the first wall. The joy, the excitement was, was palpable. I remember calling Tori my way home, telling her how excited I was. This project was going to be done in half the time. Then the second day happened. I began to run into some issues. My hand sanding wasn't enough. Things were really bumpy and I started, I painted over it and it just looked awful. The bookshelves were, were going to take so much more work. It felt like very little progress was made by the end of day two. And then all of a sudden, by days three and four, the project had completely stalled and stagnated. I no longer wanted to do anything. I dreaded any time my calendar popped up and said, time to go work on the office. I became complacent and sluggish. What was once thrilling had become tedious and dull. I wonder if you've ever experienced that feeling. The feeling of excitement, of, of something fresh only quickly turning into complacency. You start a new job with all of that excitement, only for it to become quickly tiresome. Well, this danger exists for all of us in every arena of our lives, including our spiritual lives. See, when we first believe, we are, we are often so hungry. Every day it feels like we're, we're bearing new fruit. It feels like nothing can, can stop our growth. But then slowly and surely... We begin to grow stagnant. We no longer find ourselves pursuing like we once did. Well, Paul, the apostle, knows that that's a danger for the Colossians. And so he writes to them. And and, and last week we saw in verses 1 through 8 that he gave God thanks for the, the great gospel fruit that's been born in their lives. That they have remained true to the, the true gospel. But he's aware that they might begin to grow stagnant. That things might lead them into complacency. And in the face of that, he will pray for the Colossians. In fact, since he has heard of their faith, he has given himself to this prayer. He is and has been burdened that they continue on the track they have already begun. His prayer is that they continue to grow in Christ. Well, this morning, that's what we are going to consider. So if you have a Bible, please open that Bible with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians is a a letter in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, as we saw last week. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to, to use one of those black Bibles there in the pew in front of you. You can find Colossians 1, 9 through 14 on page 983, 983. We're going to read all five verses. And then after we read, I will lead us in a prayer for the hearing and proclaiming of God's word. Hear with me, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, as we come to this portion of the letter to Colossians, we pray that you, by your spirit, would give understanding, that you would light our way. Father, that you would be a lamp to our feet as we seek to walk in such a way that pursues a life fully pleasing to you. Hear and answer our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our our one-sentence summary, our, our big idea of the passage this morning is this. Pray to be filled by God so that you can pursue a life that fully pleases God. Pray to be filled by God so that you can pursue a life that is fully pleasing to God. The Christian life is one of continually relying on God to fill us as we seek to walk worthy of Him. In Paul's prayer, we are both set an example of how we ought to pray, but also how we ought to pursue. We're challenged to pursue this kind of walk in our own lives. The temptation that we are each faced with is stagnancy in our growth as a Christian. Tempted to think that we've already enough, we already have enough, or tempted to think that we need to look elsewhere for spiritual growth rather than in Christ. But what we really need is what Paul lays out for us, that we need to pray to be filled by God so that we can walk and pursue a life that fully pleases God. And so that will be our outline this morning. Pray to be filled by God in in verse 9, in the first half of verse 10, and then pursue a fully pleasing life in the rest of our passage, the the second half of verse 10 through verse 14. Pray to be filled by God and pursue a fully pleasing life. My hope is is that as we consider this passage together, we will be compelled to be known for our continual praying and compelled to pursue a life that is fully pleasing. So first we are going to consider pray to be filled by God. Pray to be filled by God. And we will consider the example of Paul's prayer. Because Paul has heard such good things about the Colossians, he has been in unceasing prayer for the Colossians. We see that there in verse 9. Look, look there again. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul hears of the Colossians' true faith and the true gospel, and he's driven not only to give thanks, but, but to pray. And we're going to see four things of Paul's prayer here in in this first verse and a half that, that instruct how we ought to pray to be filled by God. And the first thing is that Paul prays unceasingly. He prays unceasingly. Look there at verse 9 as we just saw. See, when Paul thinks of the Colossians, he is moved to pray unceasingly for them. The idea is not that Paul never does anything else. Right? It's not that he only prays for the Colossians at all time, all 24 hours. He never sleeps. He never does anything. He, all he does is pray. That's not the idea. The idea is that he is continually praying for them. He has no cause to stop praying for them. He prays every time he thinks of them without ceasing. And this is how Paul was with every church he was connected to. We get a picture of that in Ephesians 1, verse 16, where he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He does the same thing for the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, where he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul devoted himself to praying. He prayed at all times for all people. He didn't wait for a situation to get bleak before he started praying. He, he doesn't wait for the, the walls to be crumbling around a church before he started praying for them. No, he has been praying this way from the day he heard of their faith. As soon as Epaphras had reported that the gospel was, was going forth to Paul, 
He started praying for his friends. What a wonderful example, brothers and sisters, of how we ought to pray. Don't wait until the situation is bleak before you begin praying. Prayer is not like the reserve parachute, the the ripcord you pull when, when nothing else has worked. No, prayer is the ultimate action of faith. In fact, we saw in our scripture reading this morning, if you caught it there in 1 Samuel, that Samuel says he would be in sin if he ceased praying for these people. See, when we cease to pray, we are not acting in faith. Because prayer is the ultimate action of faith. This is what Jesus has told us in Uh, Luke chapter 18, in verse 1 we read, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Those who are disciples of Jesus are to give themselves to praying always, even when it seems our prayers are not needed or are not being answered. And why is that? We'll look at the second half, or the, the end of this parable, where Jesus says, And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Friends, we give ourselves an unceasing prayer because it reveals our faith in the good justice of our God. Prayer is not pointless. It's been said in the last few days in the wake of the the evil, awful tragedy that happened in Uvalde that, that prayer is pointless. What we need is action. But friends, don't be deceived. Prayer is not pointless. The Lord hears and answers our prayers. Paul prays unceasingly for the Colossians because he knows that this is the very action of his faith. And we are called to be like the persistent widow in Luke 18, praying without ceasing. Well, not only does Paul pray without ceasing, but but he prays for others. He prays for others. Who is it that that Paul prays for? Look back at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. He's not praying for himself alone, but but for others. It amazes me. Throughout all of Paul's letters, we see that his prayer life was so others-centered. We've already seen that he prays unceasingly, not only for the Colossians, but for the Ephesians and the Thessalonians. But he will tell the church in Rome that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. And he'll tell the church in Philippi, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Oh, to have been a fly on the wall in Paul's bedroom. Day after day, night after night, giving himself in prayer for others. And what do we know about Paul? Well, Paul was often suffering, often imprisoned, often near death, someone who you thought would be in need of prayer. And here he was giving himself day after day in prayer for others. And Paul is merely following the example of Jesus, who gave himself in prayer for others. You know, on the night before Jesus died, we see in John 17, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And what is that prayer all about? Well, I encourage you to go read it later this afternoon, but I'll I'll tell you, it's a prayer not for himself, not for the one who's about to go to the cross and die. No, it's a prayer for others. Jesus devoted himself to praying for others. But that's not in the past tense. Jesus today is devoted to praying for others. Hear what Hebrews 7 verse 25 says. In Hebrews 7 we read, Consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, the the Son of God, the one to whom all belongs, all glory and power and honor, lives. 
He's devoted every part of him to making intercession for all who draw near to him. Friends, Jesus is devoted to praying for you as you draw near to him. He intercedes on our behalf before the Father. Paul in Romans 8 will say that the the Spirit yearns with words when we don't know what to say with, with things beyond our words. Our Savior is devoted to praying for others even right now. Friends, think about your own prayer life. How much of it do you spend praying for others? What's the balance between prayers for yourself and prayers for others? Maybe you don't know where to start as you think about how to, how to pray for others. Let me encourage you just to start praying through your, your member's guide. Pick one member or one page per day and just pray for them. Pray for them whatever you think, whatever you would pray for yourself, pray for them. Give yourself in prayer for others. Well, friends, Paul prayed unceasingly for the good of others. But, but what did he pray for? Well, he gave himself to pray for spiritual growth. Pray for spiritual growth. At this point, we haven't even gotten to the request of, of verse 9. We've, we focused there on the, the first half. But as Paul moves into the second half of verse 9, we read this. What does he pray for? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's request is that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And God's will is not some ambiguous direction for our lives. No, what Paul intends here is that they would be filled with the full and complete knowledge of God's revelation. I think it's qualified there in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that that they would have the wisdom and understanding not of this world, but that which comes from the Spirit. He prays that they would be filled with all of that wisdom. My summary of what Paul is praying for here is that he's praying for, for spiritual growth. That they who have been filled, as we see in Colossians 2.10, where Paul writes, and you have been filled in Christ, that those who have been filled would be made more complete, being filled with the knowledge of God's will. The reality is that when one believes in Jesus, we are filled. We are made complete. Everything we need for salvation is there when we believe in Christ. But they should be growing. It's like when you, when you buy a house. That house becomes yours. It is fully yours. At that moment, you sign the check and the, the money transfers from your account to, to somewhere else. And yet, you continue to fill it. You will make it more completely yours as, as you decorate it, as you paint it your favorite color, as we hang up pictures of our family. The house begins to be filled. It is made more completely ours, that which was already ours. Well, the same is true here. We are filled with Christ when we first believe. There is nothing to be added in terms of our salvation. And yet Paul prays that we would be filled with a greater and more complete knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would grow spiritually. And where are we to find this more complete knowledge? Where do we look? Well, the false teachers would tell the Colossians that that there's a, a secret knowledge. You need to go deeper past Jesus into something else. But in reality, when we are in Christ, we have access to all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. Paul will say in chapter 2, verse 3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where do we look for spiritual growth? We look to Jesus Christ. In Him alone is all the fullness of wisdom and knowledge. When you were converted, friends, you were given everything you need to grow. Listen to how one commentator describes it. 
He says, Paul does not ask for the Christians a new knowledge, but rather the proper use of what is already theirs in Christ. See, friends, in Christ, we already have full knowledge of God's wisdom and understanding. The full revelation of God is in Christ Jesus. When, when we preach Christ crucified, we preach the wisdom of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So, Christian, look nowhere else for spiritual growth. Consider the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul's burden is that they would take what is theirs and be filled with it all the more. But he's praying this way because it's not something that these Colossians can do on their own. It's something that God must do. I think the NIV's translation of verse 9 is really helpful here. What the ESV translates as be filled, the NIV translates as God to fill you. This is what Paul's praying, that God would fill them. It is God who has promised to make us complete. And so as we think about that, we learn something helpful about prayer. Prayer is asking God to do that which he has already promised to do. Paul knows that God has promised that he who began a good work and these Colossians will bring it to completion and so he prays that they would be filled by God. He calls upon God to do that which he has already promised to do. God has promised to bring his work to completion. He has promised to fill us. And so we can and we should pray that God would do that work. We ought to pray for spiritual growth. Well, I can imagine someone asking, well, well, does that mean that we should never pray for physical things like healing or financial provision? And if you're thinking about that, that's a great question. We must be clear on that point that God has not promised in the gospel our, our health or financial prosperity. If you believe in Jesus, you're not promised riches or good health. No, that's a a dangerous worldly philosophy. But it is not wrong to pray and ask that God could do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. To pray for healing, to pray for provision, those are good things. Things often that, that we feel burdened with. And the God who cares for us calls us to cast all our burdens on Him. But friends, what I, what I want us to see is that our primary concern in prayer should be that Christians are growing in Christ. That we are being filled by God with a greater knowledge of His revelation in Christ Jesus. So what did you pray for this morning? Did you pray for that which was merely physical? Did you give thought or concern to your own spiritual growth or to the spiritual growth of others? Paul's primary concern, that which he is unceasingly in prayer for, is that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But it's really interesting, as we consider that prayer of Paul, we find that he himself will become the very answer to that prayer. Paul will spend the rest of this wonderful letter of Colossians filling the Colossians with all the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. He fills them with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and how they are to walk in that knowledge. So friend, that thing that you've been praying for, for someone else in this body, you may be the way that God answers that prayer. We sung this morning of how God answers prayers in ways that we we don't expect Him to answer. Not only does He reveal the hidden evils of our hearts, but often God answers prayer, our prayers, for others through us. So as you pray for our sister Gertrude to know the love of God in the midst of grief, you can call her and visit her and tell her of God's love. As we pray that we would be a church that fights sin together, we could be those who confess and keep one another accountable. Friends, look for ways of how God might be using you to answer your prayers for others in this body. 
Well, Paul prays unceasingly for others' spiritual growth, but he does so with a purpose. He prays purposely. Why does Paul want the the Colossians to be filled in verse 10 or in verse 9 with all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, look at verse 10. So as, so too, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. The apostle wants the Colossians to be filled so that they might walk in a worthy manner, fully pleasing to God. As one commentator said, spirit-given insight into the will of God, as important as it is, is not an end in itself. Friends, as we fill our hearts and minds with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the, the will of God, we are to live differently. This is why we gather on Sunday mornings. We gather around God's word to hear Jesus Christ, to to be filled a bit more with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, not so that we might know more things about Jesus, but so that we might walk in a way that honors and is fully pleasing to him. See, Paul's purpose in praying is that the Colossians would pursue a life that fully pleases God. Brothers and sisters, this is how we ought to pray. Pray unceasingly for others' spiritual growth with the purpose of seeing them walk in a way that is fully pleasing to the Lord. This is how Paul's praying. And so when you pray, brothers and sisters, pray that others would not just have head knowledge, but that they would be filled so as to walk in a way that is fully pleasing to Jesus. Pray unceasingly for others' spiritual growth so that they may walk in a fully pleasing manner. Well, the Apostle Paul will go on to explain in the rest of our passage what it looks like to live a life that is fully pleasing to God. And I think Paul goes on to explain this in greater detail so that even us today and the Colossians then might pursue this kind of life. He, he goes on in this great detail so that we might be challenged to pursue a fully pleasing life. And so that moves us into our second point. Pursue a fully pleasing life. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Paul, in almost every single letter he writes, records how he is praying for the Colossians. It's, it's part of his very normal greeting. It's how he does it for, for every, almost every letter. Well, why does he do that? I think it's, it's twofold. It's to teach us to pray, as we've just encountered, but it's also to call us to pursue. And so we're going to see Paul challenge us to pursue a fully pleasing life in in four ways. So just as we saw four ways that our prayer is shaped through the prayer of Paul, we see here four ways we are challenged to pursue a fully pleasing life. And the first way is to pursue good works. Look there at the second half of verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. A life that is pleasing to our Lord will be a life that bears the fruit of good works. Our good works are like the the berries on the edge of of a strawberry plant that reveal that the strawberry plant has been growing, that, that the roots took deep, uh, take, took deep root in the ground and in the dirt. Our good works are often how we see that the gospel of Jesus has, has taken root in our lives. They are not the path of salvation. A strawberry plant, a strawberry is not the, the path to how the, the, the strawberry plant grows, but it is the fruit of the growth. And so this language of bearing fruit in good work should, should sound familiar to us. It's what Paul prayed or give, th- gave thanks for in, in, in verse 4 of chapter 1. He says, We have heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. Sorry, it's in verse 6. Which has come to you indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel has already been bearing fruit in the Colossians' lives. And Paul picks up that same language and says, It needs to continue to bear that fruit. He doesn't want the fruit to grow stale, to grow stagnant, 
The gospel is, is still bearing the fruit of good works in their lives. This is why we were created. Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, that is the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friend, if you have believed in Christ, you were created for good works. They may vary in our different contexts of how those, that fruit bears, bears itself out. But we know that we are being filled with the knowledge of God's will as we begin to be vessels of that will. But friends, we won't bear good works apart from Christ, who is our vine. Look at what Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, that I, not being me, being Jesus, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, brothers and sisters, to pursue good works, apart from abiding in Christ Jesus, will produce nothing. What Isaiah will call filthy rags. But as we remain in Christ as we abide in Him, as we know more and more of Him from His Word, as we abide in prayer, as we gather with His people week after week, we will bear the fruit of righteousness. It's the fruit of compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience, of bearing with one another, of forgiveness, of thanksgiving and teaching and admonishing one another, all of these good works and more. So are you pursuing good works? Is the gospel bearing fruit of good works in your life as you look back on it this past week? And maybe a better question might be, are you abiding in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you delight in him? Are you remaining in him? The seed of the gospel, as we abide in Christ, as it takes root in our lives, we too will pursue good works. So Paul prays that they would pursue good works, but but not good works alone. He, He longs for them to pursue good works and pursue an increasing knowledge. Look there at the rest of verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the apostle has already prayed that the Colossians would increase in the knowledge of God's will, that they live a worthy life. But a worthy life is one that's always increasing in the knowledge of God. If that sounds cyclical to you, it's because it is. To please God, we must know more of God. And we must know of God in order to please God. Let me say it in other words, in, 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 in our lives, we will not live a fully pleasing life in conformity to God's will if we're not always increasing in our knowledge of God's will. We will not live a fully pleasing life in conformity to God's will if we are not increasing in that knowledge of our God. Paul's not praying for merely knowledge here. He's not praying for knowledge, but no conformity. What what Paul is praying for is knowledge that leads to conformity. I think that's why it's so tightly tied to the the first half, the bearing of every good work. It's because as we increase in knowledge, we bear fruit in every good work. And as we bear fruit in every good work, we're going to be increasing in knowledge. Increasing of knowledge of God should always bear the fruit of good works. Paul will tie... The, the oneness of our God to how we pursue unity in Ephesians 4. So I'm going to use that as an illustration to, to know God is one, but not to pursue unity with God's people that reflects that, that Trinity aspect of God is to live as the demons do. But to know God is one and pursue unity with God's people, that's an increasing knowledge of God. Right? So it's an increasing knowledge that, that conforms our life. We know God is one, and so we know that he wants his people to be one. And so we pursue that sort of unity. 
Make it your aim, brothers and sisters, to know more of God. And as you know more of God, to bear fruit of good works in conformity with God. So to be filled with the, the will of God, so as to walk in a, fully way, a manner fully pleasing of God, is to increase in knowledge. But it's also to pursue patient endurance. To pursue patient endurance. This is what we see in verse 11. Paul writes, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. See, the Christian life is not just one where we bear fruit or increase in knowledge. No, in the Christian life, we are being strengthened with all power. That's what Paul says, being strengthened with all power. And what is this power according to? Well, it is according to God's glorious might. Well, where do we see the the glorious might of our God, his power and its greatest display? We see it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Paul describes his his prayer for the Ephesians in this way. He prays that, that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe according to the working of his great might. So right there, we'll stop for just a moment. That's, that's what Paul's just prayed here in Colossians. It's the, the very same prayer. But he goes on in Ephesians 1 to, to explain that a bit more. Of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What is the immeasurably great power that God is strengthening us with? It's the power of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and exaltation in heaven. You see, friends, the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's now at work in every believer. And I want you to sit with that. Let's, let's not rush past that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the, the power that is now at work within you. That's an amazing thing. Power that is so completely beyond us. A power that could never come for us. Come from us. Well, surely if, if this is the great power that we are being strengthened with, it's, it's for something really mighty, right? We're going to do great miracles, heal blind people, right? open their eyes like Jesus did. But that's not what Paul says we're being strengthened for. Look at how Paul describes what this strength is coming for. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Yes, yes, for all endurance and patience. For all endurance and patience. We'll get to the with joy in just a minute. Paul says that we are being strengthened with this almighty resurrection power of God so that we might endure patiently in this life. These two virtues of patience and endurance are contrary to what our world values. We value the next great thing. We, we live in a world of, of getting 15 minutes of fame. As one pastor said, we live in a world that wants champagne. Lots of fizz, lots of fizz and a, a drink that gives us a good feeling, but has no nutritional value. I think what we need is not champagne, but water, as I do right now. Water is not exciting. There are no bubbles or fizz in this water. We may even wonder, what what good is that doing for me? But we drink it day after day. Our bodies are helped and work better. And friends, this Christian life may not be full of of fizz and bubbles. It may be a very water life. But a fully pleasing life is not the life of doing the next great thing. A fully pleasing life is a life of patient endurance. And this endurance is not just a a mere physical stamina. right? It's not just that I I lived another day physically. But a, a fully pleasing life is a life that endures patiently in trust of our good God 
in the midst of whatever is going on. Yesterday I was, I was talking to a member of this church who, who has had to endure an incredibly difficult week. I went into the conversation hoping to encourage her, but I came out of that conversation encouraged because she was enduring with patience by the power of God. Not only had she suffered greatly, but she had seen how God was using that to to produce good things in her life. Friends, we think we need big miracles, but the greatest miracle is that we still believe in our good God despite all that has occurred in this past week. God's resurrection power is given to us so that we might be strengthened to endure patiently in this life. So Christian, just keep on enduring. And know that whatever situation you're in, the the resurrection of power, the resurrection power of God is being given to you. You're being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Paul is praying this because he knows God has promised to do this. A life that is pleasing to God is not the flash in the pan that quickly disappears. A pleasing life to God is one that endures through sun, through rock, through reeds, through all things. Patiently endure and pursue that patient endurance. But as we pursue good works and increasing knowledge and patient endurance, we are also to pursue joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving. Now, I said we would get to the joy part. Here we are. right? If you're reading the ESV, which is what I read from this morning, it'll say that joy is tied to enduring and patience. So that we endure with patience and with joy. But I think I tend to agree with other translations that connect joy with giving thanks. So that, so that Paul has said this. We bear, we bear fruit in good works. There in verse 10. We increase in the knowledge of God. We are strengthened with all power. We endure with patience. We give thanks with joy. Each of the verbs qualified with this other preposition. Bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Of good works. Increasing. Increasing in what? The knowledge. Being strengthened with what? All power. Enduring with what? Patience. Giving thanks with what? With joy. Paul seems to be following a pattern. I think that's the pattern that's best reflected as we connect joy to giving thanks. A life that pleases God is one that pursues joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving. And to whom is this joyful thanksgiving directed to? We'll look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Our joyful thanksgiving is directed to the Father. We are to give thanks to God our Father. Just as Paul has exemplified in verse 3 of chapter 1. Who does Paul thank in verse 3? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And so here Paul says that that is a sign of one who is fully pleasing the Lord. We are walking with joyful thanksgiving. And why do we give joyful thanks? Well, Paul goes on to explain that. We give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We have been qualified to share with all of God's holy people the inheritance of His kingdom of light. It's this inheritance that is our hope as we considered in verse 5 last week. But Paul says we we cannot qualify ourselves for this inheritance. You can't fill out enough paperwork at the bank to to inherit this inheritance. We are qualified by the Father. And how has He qualified us? Well, Let's read how the glorious description of of what Paul says next in verses 13 and 14. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom, the Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Friends, we are qualified as God the Father rescues and redeems us through the work of His beloved Son. In short, we are qualified. We are qualified for this glorious inheritance, this kingdom that is coming. As God the Father rescues and redeems us through the work of His beloved Son. That's what Paul goes on to explain. The the Father has delivered us. And He's delivered us from what? From the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So much like the Father delivered Israel in the exodus from Egypt and in the exile from Babylon, a greater deliverance has now been brought. We're not being delivered from domains of men. No, we are being delivered from the domain of darkness. This is where we exist apart from God, in the domain of darkness. Apart from the work of the Father, we are enslaved to sin. Under its hard rule. Enslaved and unable to rescue ourselves. We we operate not in light, but in darkness. All that we do is in rebellion against the God who is light. And this is for every person across the whole world apart from the Father. And friends, this is is what we see when we see terrible things as we've seen over the last few weeks. We are reminded that we are all given in to sin. And that sin doesn't exist just out there like that, but it exists in our own hearts like that. We are in the domain of darkness and would be stuck in it, but the Father has stepped in. He has not left us in our sin. He has not left us to ourselves. He did not leave us in exile, but delivered us from that domain and brought us into a new, much more glorious kingdom, a kingdom that is ruled by His beloved Son. And who is this beloved Son? Well, it is Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And at His baptism, the the Spirit... The Holy Spirit as a dove descends on Jesus. And then we read this in Matthew 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Friends, Jesus is the beloved Son. The Son with whom God is well pleased, who now rules the kingdom of light. And it is in this Son that we are redeemed. Our rescue is made possible because it was in this beloved Son that our sins are paid for and forgiven. Friends, you see, the the beloved Son lived a life worthy of that title. He did not sin and therefore did not deserve to die. He had no sin that needed to be paid for. He lived a fully pleasing life. And yet he went to the cross where he bore the Father's wrath, the price that we deserved. But God, by his glorious might, raised Christ from the dead and he ascended into heaven. He he did not remain dead. His payment is accepted. And now all who trust in Jesus... All who rely on Him, turning from their sin, are redeemed and forgiven. We needed to be bought back. Our sins kept us from God. But in the beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not by anything that that we can do, but by His marvelous and wonderful grace. Friends, when we have something marvelous happen to us, we we often respond naturally in in joyful thanksgiving. Right? When someone provides a meal for me, I, I am so abundantly thankful. But friends, something far more marvelous, far more wonderful has happened. And so, Christian, you can you can joyfully give thanks because you were stuck in the domain of darkness. But now have been qualified. For the inheritance of light through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And so cultivate that joyful gratitude by remembering, meditating on that work. To live a pleasing life is to respond with joyful thanksgiving to the Father. In every situation. It doesn't always look the same, but, but we should always be pouring out in thanksgiving to our Father who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the beloved kingdom of His Son. If you're here and you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. 
Let me be clear to you that you are unable to live a fully pleasing life to God apart from first being rescued and redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else that I have said in these last 50 minutes will matter if you are not first redeemed, if you are not first planted deeply into the gospel by relying on Jesus Christ, you are unable to please God on your own. But he has made a way for you to please him by sending Jesus to die in your place so trust in him and, and turn from your sin. And if that's you, I would invite you to talk to someone after the service. Maybe the person you're sitting next to or, or the friend who invited you. You can find me in the, in the foyer or another elder and talk about what it means to, to trust in Jesus, to, to rely on Him and turn from our sin. But this is the only way we are able to pursue the kind of life that, that Paul describes here in Colossians 1. So friends, pursue a life fully pleasing to God by pursuing good works, increasing in knowledge, by patiently enduring and responding with joyful thanksgiving. I wonder as you look at your life, if you would say that you're actively pursuing those things. Or maybe you would say your life is much like my office project was, stagnant and stale. I did ultimately finish that office, but only because I had others come alongside of me. My wife came and painted bookshelves. Griffin brought an electric sander so that we could finish all the sanding and painting. Gail and Rena emptied all the books out of my bookshelf and organized. If it were not for others coming alongside of me, I am confident today that that office would still be a work zone. I would have just given up. Friends, the same is true for our spiritual growth. We need others to come alongside as Paul did for the Colossians. Friends who, like Paul, won't wait until we're fully stagnant, but who will from the very beginning come alongside and pray for us and will encourage us to pursue a life fully pleasing to God. Be that friend today. Be the friend who prays for another to be filled by God so that we can pursue a life that fully pleases God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the assurance that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness. Father, that we have been brought into the kingdom of the beloved Son, not by anything we could do, but by your marvelous grace. Father, we pray that we would, we would be filled by God to have all wisdom and understanding so that we might walk worthy of our Lord. Lord, we pray that we would be people who prayed that for others in this church. That together our hearts would be set towards walking worthy of God and helping one another do that. Fill us, O oh God, so that we might live fully pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.